from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. You know that truth has enemies and biblical values face many challenges. But you can make a difference by partnering with FRC to reach millions of Americans with truth and a biblical perspective. And thanks to a $1.5 million challenge match by friends of FRC, your gift will have double the impact if received by December 31st. Will you join the growing momentum of Americans who are rejecting the far left's radical social agenda. As scripture tells us, let us be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor not in vain. To join this effort, and we hope you will, call 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Thank you so much for your support. Now, the news for today in the program, uh, later in the program, an update from Kentucky and a pastor in Mayfield, Kentucky, the town hit hardest by the disaster. What is the church doing there to help? In addition, we'll talk to a pastor from the West Coast, from San Jose, California, who is in a protracted legal struggle with local governments there over COVID restrictions and lockdowns. You'll be disturbed to find out what they're doing to his church and his school now. That's also coming up in the program. At the end, mask mandates are back in California despite vaccinations. Are politicians following the science? Is this ever going to be over? We'll talk about it with Brown University's Dr. Andrew Brown at the end of the program. But now for the headlines. On Friday, the Congressional Budget Office published an estimate of the Democrats' build build government bigger plan. Of course, President Biden calls it build back better. But that and that estimate confirmed that the bill's true cost will be four point nine trillion. Moreover, this tax and spending reconciliation bill will add $3 trillion to the debt. And this is coming from the CBO, which Democrats once heralded as the gold standard. Well, yesterday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki made it clear how much weight the CBO carries with the Biden administration now. But it's important to understand that when you when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a bill that doesn't exist Uh, And we should really focus on the actual bill everybody's uh, going to vote on and considering in Congress right now. Is it really a bill that doesn't exist? Here with me now to talk about the latest CBO numbers and what else we need to know about the current reconciliation bill is Representative Ron Estes, who's a member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Congressman Estes, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, great. Thank you, Joseph. It's good to be here. We're glad to talk to you. Uh, you heard Jen Psaki's comments there uh, regarding the CBO estimate, the numbers that came out last Friday. Is this a fake score for a fake bill? No, it's actually it offsets some of the magic math that they were trying to use in terms of talking about what this uh, big spending bill was. Uh, you know, they proposed a lot of gimmicks along the way uh, in terms of things like uh, having the taxes for 10 years but only saying the programs were going to last for one year and then they'd expire. And so what that did was it just said that the actual cost of the bill was too low. What uh, Senators Graham and and Cornyn asked was for the the Congressional Budget Office to come back and say, well, if those programs lasted the entire 10 years as well, 
what would be the true cost to the American taxpayers? And that's where it came back and said, well, it would cost $5 trillion almost, and over over $3 trillion, roughly $3 trillion, would be added to the national debt. And, and that's what would happen if these programs were continued. And we know that, you know, once you start one of these programs, this, this uh, child tax credit, for example, is uh, slated to cost $185 billion for one year. If you extrapolate that over 10 years, the CBO said it would cost over $1.5 trillion. And just like Ronald Reagan said, you know, a, a government bureaucracy is about the only thing that uh, will last forever. So we knew those programs aren't going to go away. Uh, they, they started six months ago as part of COVID relief. And now they're saying, oh, we need another year. And in reality, it's going to be uh, another 10 years and be permanent. And so we, we need to make sure that we're truly honest in terms of the things that we bring forth and how much it really does cost us and cost the country. Yeah, Washington, D.C. is known for having lots of birthing centers and very few funerals. Lots of things get started and nothing ever goes away, right? Do you think that the the White House's spin on this and with respect to the numbers and kind of the now the conflict they seem to have with the Congressional Budget Office, does their attempt to really lower the number just demonstrate that they don't believe that there's a real appetite for what this bill actually does? Yeah, they're, they're really trying to use what what I've been calling magic math and, and try to make it sound like it's more presentable and more recognizable and more more appealing uh, to to be passed and voted on instead of talking about what's the real impact on on America. And you can go program after program in terms of talking about some of the things that are in this bill. You know, it's like I said, the taxes are going to be out there for 10 years. Uh, $400 billion in taxes on small businesses, which are going to hurt the recovery as we come out of COVID. Uh, it has mass amnesty for illegal aliens. It uh, starts a new, uh, a new expansion of the IRS and basically doubles as another 80,000 IRS auditors to, uh, to come after us. And, and, you know, originally they they wanted to, to talk about the looking at every $600 transaction that's in anybody's uh, bank statement. And, and so th- those are the types of things that they're wanting to do. They, they even, uh, removed the Hyde Amendment, which has been the standard for 40 plus years that says the American taxpayers should not have to pay for abortion, uh, particularly abortions on demand. And let's talk about that for a moment. When you brought up the Hyde Amendment and Senator Manchin, who does seem to be at the center of all of these negotiations in the Senate, and he has said consistently over the last couple of months that he would insist the Hyde Amendment uh, be included in this or to have his support, because he's always been a supporter of the Hyde Amendment. And, of course, President Biden uh, once was throughout his entire uh, congressional career until he became president. But do you think that issue will continue to be a sticking point? Well, I think at the end of the day, the Democrats want to be able to point that they've they've got some victory. And so they're going to, like I said, it, it, this bill has 150 different new programs. So I'm sure at, at the end of the day, they will they will accept having a few of those programs uh, in, and uh, allow the Hyde Amendment language to stay in and, and protect the American taxpayers through that process. Uh, that probably would be what they would agree to. Uh, the problem is then all the bad programs that uh, stay in whatever they agree to with uh, with Senator Manchin uh, are things that put in place and and just tend to never go away. I mean, government programs just don't end. 
And another issue that the White House is dealing with is the fact that these numbers from the CBO came out at the same time as these inflation numbers. And the Labor Department confirmed the highest spike in consumer prices since 1982. Do you think this makes the White House's job of getting this through the Senate more difficult? Oh, it certainly does. I mean, the, the, the root cause of inflation is too much money chasing the same amount of goods. And uh, we've, we've spent trillions of dollars over the last year. And I'd, I'd even make the argument that, you know, in early 2020, some of that money was needed as, as COVID was shutting down everything. Uh, but that's just been a continuation since then. And to add another what amounts to $5 trillion of spending and borrowing through the Federal Reserve uh, is going to not only bankrupt our kids in the future and, and their kids and their kids' kids, uh, but it, it also is going to drive up inflation today. And we saw the November inflation reports were over 6%. Uh, inflation is such a terrible tax on, on the middle income and low income folks, uh, because if, if you're working a job, you, you, your paycheck doesn't change day to day or week to week or month to month, depending on the rate of inflation that comes through. Right. And I, I know the uh, the Federal Reserve is at least now recognizing that uh, inflation is here to stay, that they're uh, they're not calling it transitory anymore. So they're going to have to start making some of their uh, their effort to uh, to work and, and help control that, which is one of their one of their two responsibilities is to control mm-hmm. inflation and make sure that we don't uh, punish the, the working class folks who uh, get hit hardest in, in terms of when they go to the grocery store or, or go fill up their car with gas and and have to pay the heating bill uh, for their home. President Biden remembers and was around in in Congress during the Carter administration, and inflation was one of their big challenges. Maybe not the thing that sunk the the, uh, Carter administration, but certainly one of them. Do you, and he knows this, is there anything in your mind that might be giving him pause as he contemplates potentially throwing trillions of more dollars into an economy that already has a supply, a shortage of goods and understanding what inflation is already doing. Do you think there's any part of him that might be reconsidering and thinking that this might not be what we're supposed to do? I I really do hope that uh, President Biden remembers and thinks about how bad inflation was during the the President Carter years. Uh, Basically, we're seeing a, 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 a recreation of a lot of the problems that we faced during the 70s. Uh, inflation is such a painful uh, impact on so much of the working class. We're seeing uh, so many disasters around the border and national security. Uh, I, I, I think that it would be good for the country if President Biden would recognize what's going on and say, this is too much mm-hmm. right now and need to back off on, on trying to push through and ram through this big spending program. What kind of timeline is the Biden administration working on with this bill? Well, the Senator Schumer, who's uh, basically uh, trying to ramrod it through the Senate, has said over and over again that he wants to get it done by the end of December. Uh, I don't I just don't see how that's possible with this with the calendar, the way it's set up uh, with the holidays coming up. And, and you know, Christmas is uh, is next weekend. And and by the time that they can run it through their process. And, you know, the, the Senate parliamentarian hasn't even ruled on the things that 
uh, are, are not allowed in a reconciliation bill. Things like uh, some of the illegal alien provisions and, and some of the other things, they, they call that the, uh, the bird rule and, uh, in terms of making sure that it only deals with spending, taxes, and, and the deficit and, and, the, and the debt ceiling and instead of adding additional uh, programs. So the Senate parliamentarian hasn't even defined uh, things that should be thrown out of what bill was passed in the House. So I, I just really think that the, the clock's running out, and, and there's really not a not a pressing need to get that done anyway. Uh, I think we need to be we need to be more deliberative. We need to make sure that when we pass legislation, uh, that it is well thought out and 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 affects because it does affect all of our country, and we need to make sure that it is good and, and implemented in a good fashion in a good fashion. Is there a plan B for the White House if Build Back Better, as they frame it, doesn't get passed? I don't know what their fallback plan would be. They've talked so much about so many of the provisions that are in there, uh, including on the tax side. Uh, I could I could readily see that that they may just end up saying, well, we, let's let's make sure that we just increase taxes. Uh, and that could be their approach that they might want to do and increase the corporate tax rate and increase the individual tax rate and declare that their victory. Uh, the, the problem is uh, they've tried to create so many new programs through this process and the way they've had to cobble together this bill and get the votes uh, through through the House as well as the Senate is there's so many um, programs in there just to attract certain votes. And so it's going to be hard for them to come back and say, okay, what's what's the fallback plan? What is their plan? Congressman Estes, I'm going to have to jump in because we do have to go. We're up against a hard break, but we greatly appreciate your time and look forward to next time. Appreciate it. All right. Great. Thank you. Stay with us right after the break. We're going to go to Mayfield, Kentucky and talk to a pastor who's on the ground helping. Stay with us. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, It is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. 
to get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications. Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. Two years ago, FRC rolled out the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan to encourage people to read the scriptures. And we here at FRC believe that all we do, whether it be public policy work, our careers, our family, or entertainment, starts with the firm foundation of scripture. So I encourage you to sign up and join all of us here at FRC who are part of this Bible reading plan. Join us this January for our Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. For details, visit frc.org slash Bible. When you sign up, we'll send you the plan. We'll send you the studies, the devos, everything that you're going to need. encourage you to join us. Now, National Guard troops and FEMA crews are helping to search for possible survivors through the rubble left behind by the destructive tornado system that tore through Kentucky and several other states in the Midwest and South over the weekend. By now, we've all seen the tragic photos and footage of the devastated communities, and our hearts and prayers are with all who were impacted, especially those who lost loved ones. But amid the darkness, there have been lights of hope, as Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky shared on the Senate floor earlier today. Tens of thousands are still dealing with water, gas, or power outages. Families are in shock and grief over the loss of loved ones. Rebuilding the areas of Kentucky level by this storm will take months, if not years, to complete. Amid this pain, though, bright lights of hope shine through. In the face of tragedy, Kentuckians are still as strong and as generous as we've always been. Joining me now to talk about the efforts on the ground, as well as the outpouring of support and compassion to being witnessed there, is Pastor Ronnie Stinson, Jr., Senior Pastor of Trace Creek Baptist Church in Mayfield, Kentucky, the town hit hardest by the tornadoes. Pastor Ronnie, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for taking some time. You're in the area most affected by these storms. Just tell us what it's been like for you over the last few days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's been um, the most devastation that I've ever been a part of in my 50 years, for sure. Um, The things that we're experiencing right now are things that that I have not ever uh, been able to get my hands around just standing on TV 
or hearing about it. This has uh, made it so very, very real. People uh, have lost everything. Some people have no, uh, no home to go back to. Uh, churches are destroyed. Businesses are destroyed. It, it is a lot of devastation here in Mayfield and Graves County. Have you and your church and perhaps other churches in the area found ways to help people? Yes, definitely. So uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm speaking for our church. You know, we're trying to be a collection site for uh, supplies that are coming in. Uh, we're funneling that to the uh, common sites in, in town, uh, but uh, we're trying to do that. We're uh, hosting uh, the Operation Barbecue Relief Team, and they're cook, cooking and cranking out numbers of meals uh, throughout the day. We're hosting them. We have other people that are wanting to possibly use our facilities to uh, bunk in, use our showers, that sort of thing. We uh, had people out today in the last few days uh, running chainsaws, driving tractors, uh, delivering meals, putting tarps on roofs. Uh, that sort of thing today or so. And, you know, know, that's that's just, oh, excuse me. No, we know that tornadoes do discriminate, and they just kind of almost seemingly run randomly. And yes. certain houses will be destroyed, and certain certain ones wouldn't. I know your church, my understanding is that it survived while many others didn't. Is yeah. there still a community of churches in the area that are able to help and that are in a position to do so? Yeah. Um you know, we, we're about a mile and a half probably away from the path of the tornado. Uh, so we're, we're definitely blessed in that situation. But, yes, you know, especially at the, the churches there in the city, many of them were affected. Uh, a few of them uh, still are operational. Uh, I, I know of, of uh, Northside Church of Christ. I saw them today that they're very active. I know Northside Baptist is very active. I saw... I know that Catalyst Church is very active in our city, that they're still there and operational. And then the county uh, churches are doing what they can as well, because, you know, whether it be city or county, that we're still a very, a very tight, uh, close-knit rural community. What direction or instruction are people getting who need help, who may have had their homes destroyed, who are looking for shelter, who are basically looking looking to put their lives back together? Are the resources there that they need? Yeah. Well, I think that everything that we know we need at this point is coming in. Uh, The people from all across the country have shown great generosity uh, toward our community, that we have trucks coming in. We have, uh, I've heard there's airplanes that's landed at the local uh, airport. Uh, people just driving in from, uh, you know, whether it be from Alabama or Illinois or wherever, that just taking their own personal vehicles, taking a flatbed truck, buying all the water they can and bringing it in. Uh, so we, we are definitely blessed. Uh, you know, those things are, you know, right now it seems like, uh, man, that's a lot of supplies coming in, and it is, but I don't think it's going to take very long for those things to be depleted as well. Uh, but 
uh, people are finding shelter. Uh, they're finding shelter in uh, maybe some municipal buildings around possibly from time to time yeah. or from some church facilities uh, that are that are housing some people. Uh, initially, they had to take some people to the air, to the uh, adjacent uh, town of, of Lone Oak because we didn't have any electricity or water. So, Pastor Ronnie, very quickly, in, in about 15 seconds, for those who want to help, where are you sending them? What can people do? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a disaster relief fund, the Mayfield Graves County uh, Relief Fund. Uh, they can they can send money through that organization and all of that that collection and all that money uh, will stay in our community uh, and help 100 percent. And obviously there are people, you know, other big organizations that are here helping as well. So we're thankful for them. Pastor Ronnie Stinson, we are praying for you and your community. Thank you so much for taking some time today. God bless you. Thank you. And thank God bless you. Bye bye. Coming up next, we're going to What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. appreciate this program and the work of Family Research Council, there is an opportunity to double your gift. The first one and a half million dollars is doubled between now and the new year. To do so, call 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Thank you so much for making this program possible. After Thanksgiving, 
Calvary Chapel, San Jose in California, was paid a visit by an unexpected guest. And no, it wasn't Santa Claus. Unfortunately, it was worse. It was the Occupational Safety and Health Division of the state of California. We're from the government and we're here to help. And they didn't come bearing gifts. They came with a warrant to investigate and interrogate employees of the church under the guise of employee safety. But if you've been tracking the developments at Calvary Chapel San Jose like we have, you know there's more to this. And with me now to talk about the latest development in the church's more than a year-long tussle over the government's response to COVID-19 is Pastor Mike McClure. He's the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel San Jose. Mike, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, catch those who may not be familiar with your story up a little bit. Why has there been a, a, a conflict between your church and the local governments there? Well, we believe in the First Amendment. And first and foremost, I mean, as a pastor, we want to make sure that people are attending to. You know, this is uh, an opportunity for so much discouragement, uh, suicide rates, and all the problems that have been happening as, as, as a result of COVID. We didn't close our church, so by opening it, the local county has just really come down hard on us. They've given us, uh, originally it was three up to $3.8 million in fines, and somehow they've lowered it because the last million they didn't even let us know about. But we are uh, constantly, I think, just uh, under this watchful eye, and, and uh, they're sending who they can to, to interrogate, and now it uh, seems to be OSHA. So we just want to worship like uh, churches are and have been doing in this country for over 200 years. And suddenly now uh, uh, we have something that's, um, you know, not even the Black Plague, but keeping everybody at home and everyone in fear. And it's just, uh, it's such a lie because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Now tell us a bit more about this OSHA visit. When did they come and what were they trying to do? Well, the county, as you know, uh, the health department, they don't have uh, the ability to enforce a lot of these fines. Uh, they have taken us to court. Uh, but OSHA does have ability to to lock the doors and to uh, even um, go into bank accounts. And uh, there's someone, you know, with Section 8 usually uh, dealing with safety. Uh, now they've taken over health care. So they're looking at all the things we're doing with our kids, um, they came in saying, we're not here for the church. Uh, we're just here for the school. And I told them that, well, we're under the same 501c3. It's church property, same board, same everything. So you mess really with the church or a school, you're messing with the same entity. But they want to come in and make sure that uh, we're following all of the state guidelines, which I believe uh, the new guidelines from the, the governor is you have to wear a mask indoors, I think, uh, starting this next week. And so... There's constant change here in California, and I think the whole idea is to keep people in fear, to keep people in control, and they really want to take over the state of California because as California goes, so goes uh, the United States. Well, your church and your school have been in this conflict. Have you been experiencing massive deaths that would justify the government trying to come in and protect your people from your practices? No, we haven't even had that many people sick. And those that are sick, here's what's going on in California. If you go to a local hospital, you are then taken in and uh, usually put in, if you've tested positive for COVID, into a COVID ward where nobody can come see you and your family. 
not even a lawyer. No one can get in there, and they're going to give you randesimir. Randesimir, in the original studies, has 53% death rate. It's a 25% uh, kidney failure in the first two weeks. And I have personally talked to several doctors. I have talked to these people, and they will not give hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or anything, or even look and acknowledge any studies. And they want everyone to make sure that you got your vaccine and you got rendesimir, but who cares about the immune system? And so we have not had people die of COVID, but we have had people come close to it, and we have had people die from kidney failures from rendesimir in our church. So more people are dying from all the results of COVID and really what the healthcare system is doing. And it is shameful. I can't tell you how angry it makes me to see what's going on in our healthcare system. And we have got to, as a public and especially as pastors, to wake up to what is going on to the people in our church. And I have to get in and advocate and really fight to get people out of there because they're not getting their proper care. They're actually getting terrible care. Uh, they don't care if they live or if they die in these hospitals. It's a shame on on stain on America, and and I just um, I just can't stand watching it anymore. And so, this is what OSHA is supposed to be helping us with people's health. Now they say we have about Scary. thirty seconds, but very quickly, you've been uh, targeted by OSHA. It seems. Are you aware of other churches in the area, schools that are receiving the same treatment? No. Uh, OSHA has been targeting from Bob Tyler, our lawyer uh, in Southern California. He's also representing other schools. So it sounds to me like uh, they're organizing some effort because it seemed to all happen within the same time frame. Pastor Mike McClure, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, San Jose. Thank you for your courage, for your stand, and for taking some time to share your story with us today. Thank you so much for all that you guys do. You're such a blessing. God bless you. Likewise, God bless you. And we will continue that conversation. It is an interesting one. But coming up after the break, we're going to stay in California, kind of, because California has some new mask mandates coming in beginning next week, I believe it is. Are they following the science? Is this ever going to end? We're going to have that conversation with a doctor, Dr. Dr. Andrew Boston from Brown University, when we come back for all your COVID questions. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. 
Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington. Everywhere you go listen to the music for a moment, but I can't. want to remind you that if you want to listen to any of the segments today that we have already had, or you want to listen again to the next great conversation we're going to have, you can always do that at TonyPerkins.com. Find this and every past episode there at TonyPerkins.com. Now, yesterday, California's Secretary of Health and Human Services announced that masks will once again be required of all Californians in public indoor settings, regardless of whether or not they are vaccinated. The mandate, which goes into effect Wednesday, will last through January 15th. New York is also requiring masks inside public places, except where a vaccine requirement is being implemented. The mandate, which went into effect yesterday, will be reassessed on January 15th. Similar mandates have also been popping up in cities across the nation. Given what we know from clinical data, are government officials following the science? Joining me now to talk about this and more is Dr. Andrew Bostom, a clinical trialist and associate professor of family medicine at Brown University. Dr. Bostom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Well, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to start off by talking about the Omicron variant. On Friday, White House COVID-19 response team held a press conference during which CDC Director Rochelle Walensky reported on the first 43 cases of Omicron in the U.S. Here's what she shared. Nearly 80 percent or 34 individuals were fully vaccinated and about a third of them or 14 of those 34 individuals received an additional booster dose, though some who had a booster had just recently received it. Additionally, 16 percent of the cases reported had been previously uh, infected with SARS-CoV-2. Among all cases, there was only one hospitalization and no deaths have been reported to date. Uh, Dr. Boston, when you hear that, does that justify uh, new math mandates like we're seeing in California? 
Well, uh, no. Uh, oh, well, masking, masking is futile to begin with. So nothing really justifies uh, masking. Um, there's there's uh, ample randomized controlled trial evidence, you know, the gold standard evidence that we apply to any therapeutic or intervention from something as complex as a vaccine to something as simple as a mask. And there's been about 360,000 persons uh, enrolled in community clinical trials of masking uh, since 2008. Um, uh, it's 14, 14 studies, at least altogether now. Uh, 13 of them have been reported in peer-reviewed journals. There's one study that hasn't been um, reported in a peer-reviewed journal yet, but it's been published as a preprint, and it's the biggest study. And, and there's a uniformity uh, of, of, uh, of outcome. That, i.e., that, that whether it's influenza and in the older trials, you know, pre-COVID era, going back to 2008 uh, through, through 2019, or, or um, the two the trials that address COVID directly in community settings in Denmark and in Bangladesh, all, all the data are negative. I, I mean, so it's, it's just, you know, you rarely see something that is, well, actually, you never see something where it's so consistently negative, and yet, you know, really... Clinical trials exist to make recommendations. In other words, if the trials are positive or the, or the bulk of the trials are positive, you make a recommendation uh, that, that, you know, uh, cholesterol lowering with statin drugs is useful, uh, uh, antihypertensive are useful for preventing uh, stroke and, and heart failure and things like that. You make recommendations for their use. I've never heard of something being mandated <laughs> as opposed to recommended when the, when the randomized trial evidence is uniformly negative. So it's, a, it's an absurdity to begin with. But, but the reassuring things thus far, so far, about, about Omicron, about the Omicron variant, and this is mirroring what was reported in South Africa, you know, in, in their epicenter in a province, I believe it's called Gauteng, it's G-A-U-T-E-N-G. What they're finding is that um, it is, it is uh, at least in their population, much milder in, in, in terms of, of hard clinical outcomes. Um, they're, they're not seeing the hospitalizations. In fact, those that are in the hospital that have tested positive, about 70% of them were incidental. In other words, they tested positive, but they were actually admitted for something else. They're, they're, they're on room air. They're not requiring supplemental oxygen. Um, there was one death reported in the UK from the Omicron variant, but but, uh, you know, Prime Minister Johnson was pretty clear in his language that the, that the individual died with uh, the Omicron variant, which, 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 which doesn't indicate uh, necessarily that, that, that they had a pneumonia and, and complications and died, you know, from COVID, from the Omicron variant. Um, uh, Dr. Walensky was, was very vague about the one person out of the 43 that was hospitalized, didn't even give the age, whether it was an incidental finding. Um, but what is consistent is that uh, the, these infections, and, and again, mercifully, they seem to be mild, uh, are, are certainly occurring in those that are both, you know, doubly vaccinated and even triply vaccinated. Um, and she, she mentioned that some had occurred in people with prior infection. Um, you know, by and large, prior infection or, or naturally acquired immunity has, has been more robust, certainly in terms of, 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 uh, of clinical outcomes till now. Um, what we know from a huge database that was just reported on last week of 18,000 roughly purely breakthrough infections was that when they looked, so these were all people that were fully vaccinated, or at least by, by the prior definition, they had two shots. Um, they, they, what, what, what was found in this large uh, um, insurance claims database 
was was that having a history of prior infection again all these were uh, all these people were breakthrough post vaccination infections but having had a history of a prior infection before being being vaccinated um reduced the risk in this case of serious uh, uh morbidity so hospitalizations and deaths reduced the risk of hospitalizations um by by 50% uh, by you know, by twofold and and reduce the risk of of, of death from COVID uh, by fourfold. So you know a lot of evidence accumulating now about the strength uh, of natural immunity and all these reports. I'm glad the CDC director mentioned you know there were a few cases that had a history of prior infection and all of them seemed to be mild. But 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 really it's it's simplistic to ble- to break up you know the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. It's it's also yeah. the so, oh, as far as I'm concerned, it's ethically challenged. But, yeah, but beyond that, me... clinically, it makes little sense now when we see how important overriding uh, impact is of, of, of uh, naturally acquired immunity. Sure. Let me, let me jump in on that. There, there, there's a lot to talk about here. But why are the decisions being made in your judgment that are being made, like in California, if – you think the evidence is quite clear that masks are futile, as you say, and also the continued emphasis on vaccines when, as you suggest, the evidence seems to be growing, that natural immunity is quite effective and no place that I'm aware of would allow proof of antibodies as a substitute for an actual vaccine where vaccines are required. You know, it's 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 been very disturbing to me to see uh, principles of of epidemiology um, as, as I learned them originally, and you know, most, most of my work, you know, after being trained, was was in cardiovascular disease and chronic kidney disease epidemiology. But the last two years, I've, I've been forced to reacquaint myself with basic infectious disease epidemiology, um, and it it all the things that we're doing go against what was common practice right up until COVID. And you could give the decision makers a little bit of leeway because you know of the novelty initially, you know, but within the first certainly six months of, ha- of COVID presenting, um, er- everything that was true previously in terms of influenza pandemics, for example, was, was true of, of COVID, that, that these measures don't work, that they're very destructive, particularly the lockdown scenarios that, that were applied to people. Um, and, it's, and it's futile. You, you can leave people the option of wearing masks. I mean, that's been quite um, commonplace in Asian countries, um, you know, as, as, almost as a custom. Um, but but really, we have to go back to the to the metrics that we typically use to evaluate interventions like masking. And, you know, they, they were they were negative for influenza before COVID. We've, we've got at least two large randomized trials. One is just humongous. The trial in Bangladesh was three hundred and forty two thousand persons. And they and, and the interventions just just don't work. You know, so it's just it's to me, it's a form of of old sort of Soviet style science, you know, Lysenko and his ridiculous genetic experiments that led to crop failures to just keep imposing this. It seems like more a form of control, honestly, in the end. Well, and let's talk about you say that the interventions just don't work and certainly masks are one of those. Now, everyone's familiar in medical environments. Masks are used commonly and there's a belief that they are effective. Why then if if they are if they are using them and they are using them effectively, why do you say they just don't work? The commonplace surgical mask is used to to keep the surgical field clean, but actually, which is very different than than trying to combat a respiratory virus. I mean, if you really want if you're dealing with something, 
you know, for example, in 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 biowarfare labs or, or or you know virology labs with with really dangerous pathogens, you know, then, then they wear basically a hazmat suit. So so I mean, if that's what you want people to wear, uh, you know, to, for, then that's what they'll have to wear. But 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 really, the tradition of surgical masks was really to try and keep the surgical field yeah. clear of. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, sputum and, 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 and even there, I have to say, honestly, when you review the surgical literature, what was actually found was that enforcing unmasked silence. So surgical fields that were surgical uh, suites that were silent, where silence was enforced. So, no, you know, no, no talking, um, no moving of the air, you know, s- signals, knowing what, what was, that actually reduced, you know, surgical infections. Masking per se, you know, did not. So a lot, of, even in medicine, it's it's basically been a tradition. Uh, the one study that I did see that was a randomized controlled trial comparing the N95 masks amongst healthcare workers to the surgical masks really showed no difference. And I think it shows you how daunting it is to deal with the with the physics really of of these t- tiny tiny particles uh and 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 physical barriers but again short of well, things like hazmat suits as as you as you talk about that there is a small part of me that's concerned that we might see soon mandates to be silent and wear hazmat suits uh because it would in fact probably save one life you know we're social is. beings we're social beings we communicate well, with not if we're dead we're not and, talking it's just it's it's yeah. an absurdity and that's why it was felt to be you know again prior to this outbreak it was felt to be cruel to impose these kinds of things on people particularly children and yeah. and, and and there it's really egregious because yeah. children are at such low risk from covid thank goodness you know to, yeah. to impose masks on them is just really uh, inappropriate many of us maintain that it still is uh cruel to do that to children. I want to change the subject a little bit on you because there's a lot of us who feel like the goalposts are constantly moving. There's this vague concept of herd immunity out there that those of us who are not doctors heard about that basically we think that at some point when everybody's been exposed to something, then it stops spreading. But it seems that with vaccination rates and those who have some kind of natural immunity that we have at least reached that level where we were told we would have achieved herd immunity. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, it, it's it, it really it really does depend on the definition of herd immunity. So so if you go back to the 1920s when the concept really evolved, um, you know before mass vaccination campaigns, with the possible exception of some you know ability to to vaccinate against smallpox, um, it simply meant when when enough persons had recovered from infection in a population that there wasn't um, not only just wild spread. You know, but but symptomatic spread of serious illness that caused people in those in that era, you know, to die in the streets or to wind up in the hospitals as they existed back then. Uh, in other words, breaking that kind of a wave, breaking that kind of phenomenon. Um, it was a very different kind of definitions. Now, it looks like there may be pockets of the world and populations because of lots of natural infection that that have that have that have achieved that. That have achieved that, you know, I, um, it looks at, or at least temporarily. That's the other thing. A new variant can upset that balance. But if you look at Sweden, for example, if you look at, at India, um, they, they may be in that state of equilibrium, you know, right, right now. They're certainly not seeing the kinds of, um, waves of infections that are, you know, raising hospitalizations and, de- and deaths now. You, know, you mentioned variants there, and that's something else that we're all kind of confused about. 
We've seen Delta. We now see Omicron. Does this ever end? Yeah, well, there. I mean, the only the only historical precedent vis-a-vis uh, you know coronavirus I, I I I've read about now is is something that was called the Russian flu, which actually turned out to probably be a coronavirus from 1889 to 1891. And what happened with that? Again, it's it's now believed to have uh, jumped from from cows. It was a bovine coronavirus, um, and it, it 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 infected humans, caused a pandemic. Um, and it looks like it, it morphed into something that now circulates as one of the, well, prior to SARS, four common cold-causing coronaviruses, one called um, human coronavirus OC43. Uh, that, that is, again, basically a cold-causing coronavirus. You know, kids get those kinds of viruses once or twice a year. Um, they're, they're a common cause of colds, uh, colds in, in, in all age groups. Um, they rarely still to this day can cause a serious outbreak in a frail population, like a nursing uh, home population. But basically, they, they, they circulate um, as endemic, you know, uh, it circulates as, a, as an endemic cold-causing virus. You know, the, the hope would be perhaps something like an Omicron variant or maybe something, you know, milder than that would, would evolve and eventually, you know, infect lots of people and give at least enough cross-reactive natural immunity to prevent you know, serious outbreaks. But, you know, that's really, that's really speculative, but that is an historical, you know, precedent. Dr. Andrew Boston, Brown University, we appreciate your time. We are sadly out of time. I got so many more questions I'd love to run through. I think we're going to have to do this again because uh, curious minds really do want to know. And uh, those of us who are not doctors are frequently confused about what we're seeing, but we appreciate you spending some time and illuminating us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. And we will continue that conversation, uh, if for no other reason than the fact that I really want to, because there's lots of things I still want to know. But that is our program for today. Hope that you have enjoyed it. Omicron, Delta, whatever it is, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid. Fear God. Nothing else. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.